Father, we thank you this morning. My heart is filled with joy, fellowshipping with the saints and being the scripture reading from earlier, from uh, 1 Thessalonians, the fourth chapter, where Paul is encouraging the saints to increase in their love toward one another. And I pray, Father, that that is what we continue to do here at our church, at the Living Church, that we continue to I do want to know that loving each other and continue to love and serve the flock of God. Well, we just thank you for that. We thank you for the wonderful songs as we sung about giving ourselves away to you and singing about how holy you are and singing about the hope that we have in Christ and Christ alone. Well, we thank you for the testimony of all believers that you have delivered us from darkness to light as we're going to be preaching about this morning in a little bit that Lord before we knew you we were in darkness but Lord we thank you that you have translated us you have transferred us from the kingdom of darkness to the kingdom of light and Lord this is the great glory of the gospel that through Christ's work on the cross you rescued us from the domain of darkness, from the domain of Satan, and translated us into your kingdom, the kingdom of your heavenly light. And Lord, you made us to share in the inheritance of the saints. And Lord, we just thank you this morning that you have brought us out of darkness into the marvelous light of Christ. Well, all who believe, all who are believers this morning, can testify that you ransomed us, that you bought us, that you purchased us from the bondage of sin, that you gave us new life, that you fully equipped us for your service. Lord, we honor your name because of your transforming power in our lives. Lord, you have put a new song in our mouths. You have set uh, a song of perpetual praise to you in our hearts. Lord, we thank you this morning for the indwelling work of the Holy Spirit who transforms lives from the inside out. Lord, we rejoice in the assurance as believers that our sins are forgiven. And we are profoundly aware of our eternal indebtedness to Christ. We owe a debt to Christ that we would never be able to pay. Because the, the, the price that Christ paid for our sins to set us free is incomprehensible. We will never be able to fathom the price that Christ paid for our sins. And Lord, as we know that we are free indeed from the enslavement to the law, we are liberated from the bondage of sin. Lord, enable us to stand firm in that freedom. Lord, keep our hearts from evil. Keep our hearts from going toward evil. Lord, seal our deliverance so that we may never again be subject to the yoke of bondage to sin. Lord, we know that apart from your gracious empowerment, that all of our attempts at godly love and godly living and faithful service are futile. They are, they are wasteful. They are foolish. Lord, apart from the Holy Spirit's enablement, we neither could nor would honor Jesus as Lord. 
Lord, apart from the intercessory work of Christ, we know that we will falter. Apart from the grace you give us to persevere, we will surely fall away. Lord, apart from the purifying power of your word, we can never be fit for heaven. So, Lord, we thank you for the work of Christ. We thank you for the grace to persevere. We thank you for the purifying power of your word. Father, continue to do that work in us. Because, Lord, we are susceptible. We are subject to be tempted by the world, the lure of the world, the lust of our own flesh, and the schemes of the devil. Lord, we are all easily tempted to fall prey to those things. But Lord, give us more grace to be diligent in our duties as husbands, as fathers, as men, as women, as children. Help us to be faithful. Give us more grace to be faithful in our devotion to Christ. To be clear in our testimony to the world. To be steadfast in our defense of the truth to be untiring in our service to you and serving the needs of the saints. And Father, we ask you this morning to look upon other men who are laboring this morning in the gospel work, preaching and shepherding the flock of God. Brother Steve Mays at Hope Presbyterian in Jacksonville. Brothers Gobbler Jagar and Josephus Brown over in Liberia. Pray for those men as they lead their churches and continue to share the gospel and spread the gospel of Jesus Christ over there. Pray for my brother uh, Sylvester in Zimbabwe and his uh, new church plant that's a few months old that uh, you be with him. We continue to communicate with each other. Bless him and his church, Lord. My friend Josh Henderson down at Southside Baptist in Talladega. Our brothers uh, Carlton and Bob and Phil and Anthony at our churches here in our area, Calhoun County, Anderson. Be with all of us, Lord, as we shepherd the flock, as we preach the gospel. Build up the men in our church to be godly men. Build up our young men to be future men of God, serving your flock faithfully, being faithful husbands to their wives and faithful fathers to their children and faithful providers in their homes. We'll raise our women up to be godly women, our young girls to be godly women, to be women who are holy and not women who are living lives of shame, to be women who will grow to love their husbands to take care of the home, to take care of their children, to be like the godly women of old. Lord, may your word do all this work in all of us. And may our children love and honor their parents, obey their parents in the Lord. Lord, protect our children from the culture, the traps that the culture try to provide to them, the idolatry that the culture tells them to serve. Lord, give them eyes to see clearly your gospel truths. 
and to live by them, to worship you as the one true God. Lord, just be with all of us this morning as we prepare to go into your word, looking at this text in Ephesians, the fourth chapter, I'm sorry, second chapter, verses one through three. As we look at the fact that we're dead in our trespasses and sins without Christ and the implications thereof. Lord, fill me with your spirit to preach well. Send your spirit to illuminate the truths that we would hear. We would hear some hard truths this morning, Lord, but they are true truths. They are truths worth listening to and pondering and thinking about and praying about. And Lord, may you use your word to bring sinners to repentance, to encourage the saints, encourage the faith, and to evangelize the lost. Lord, bless us this morning with the bread from heaven, the word of God. In Christ's name I pray, amen. 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 So we're making our transition to the second chapter of Ephesians. It's not different from the first chapter. Paul is making a transition as he talks to the Lord's people. So for the next three weeks, We'll be working through these 10 verses here that culminate in God preparing us to do good works. But before we get to doing good works, that doesn't just happen in a vacuum. Before we were saints, before we were called to be saints, we were first sinners. We were first lost and what. Paul is doing in this case is going uh, backward in the minds of the believers to see where they were beforehand. Excuse me, before they were called as saints and the faithful of the Lord Jesus Christ. So he says here, in chapter 2, I'm going to read all the way through verse 10 and then go back and focus on the first three verses. He says, and you, and the you in this passage is speaking of the saints that he talked about in the opening of the book. That's his audience. He's not speaking to non-Christians. He's speaking to those who are the faithful in the Lord Jesus Christ. But non-Christians do remain in this state that he's going to speak about. He says, and you were dead in trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, like the rest of mankind. But God, being rich in mercy, because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved, and raised up with him, and seated with us, seated us rather with him, in the heavenly places in Christ, so that in the ages to come, he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace in kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved, through faith. 
And that is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one would boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. May God bless the reading of his word. I want to open this morning with three things. Looking at distinctions. And we're going to see how this plays into this message this morning. There are three distinctions I want to look at. One, there are distinctions in creation. Who is the creator? God, Genesis 1 and 1. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The second thing is the quest to erase distinctions and the reality of distinctions. So first thing, the distinctions in creation. One problem that mankind has, especially the secular mind, the secular worldview, says that all is one and that one is all. That there are no distinctions. That there's no sin. If there's no sin, then there's no evil. But there are distinctions in the world. First, you have the creator-creation distinction. You have God as creator, and you have creation. In the beginning, God. And what did God do? He created. So there's a distinction between God and creation. God is not one with creation, and creation is not one with God. That's why earth is not our mother. And nature is not our mother. These are just some of the distinctions that God made when he created. There's a distinction between animals and humans. God gave man dominion over the animal kingdom. Humans are not evolved animals as the secularists believe, as evolutionists believe that we are just a higher form of animals. You know, you see the little map, the, the little figures of, of all these different animals that lead up to a human being. We did not uh, descend from animals. We were made and created distinctly from animals by God. We're not evolved animals. There's a distinction between animals and humans. There's a distinction between God and man. There's a distinction between Christ and Satan, life and death, good and evil. Distinction between traditional, biblical, structural family and alternative families. Distinctions between parents and children. Distinctions between male and females. Distinctions between heterosexuality and homosexuality. Those are all different distinctions, and those are just a few distinctions that you find in creation, in the created order that God has established. There are distinctions. Now, the quest in our culture, especially in a secularized culture, again, secularism is a religion without God. Secularism places man at the center, not God. Secularism says that man is the problem and man is the one who has to solve man's problems. 
Secularism blurs the distinctions between all these different things. That's why you have some people who treat animals like human beings, or in some cases, treat animals better than human beings. You have some people who say that man is God, that man can be God, that man are like little G-gods. You have people that are for the culture of death. They believe that death is a form of life. You kill your baby in your womb, you're able to live your life. They erase the distinction between life and death. You have some secularists who believe that good and evil are interchangeable. You know the whole yin-yang symbol. <clears throat> that God is both good and evil. That evil and good coexist on the same side of the coin. You have people who are erasing distinctions of families. That the family is not uh, just a husband and a wife and children. But it can be one man with three wives or four wives or five wives. That women can rent their wounds out and be surrogates. And that that's a family. When you're depriving a child that is born out of surrogacy of their biological mother. Because the child is born and taken away from their biological mother. They're erasing all the distinctions that God has put into creation. They're burning the distinction between parent and child. You have moms going around trying to dress like their daughters, trying to be their daughter's best friends instead of being their mother, their parents, trying to dress like they're 20 again, like their daughter, they're twinning. And not training their daughter, raising them up to be godly women. Why? Because there's no distinction between parent and child. Children are autonomous. Children can do their own thing. Children can decide to destroy and mutilate their bodies and the parents have to, have to acquiesce. If a child, if the son says, Mom, I want to be a girl. I feel like I'm a girl. Okay, baby. Let's go to the doctor. Let's get on puberty blockers. Because you have to listen to the child. You're blurring the distinction between the role of a parent and the role of a child. Our world is all about erasing the distinctions that God himself has set in creation. We see it all over the place. Why does the world want to do that? Because they hate God. They hate what is good for them. Man hates God. Unregenerate people, those who are not saved, they hate God. I hated God at one time. Before God saved me. I went out there shaking my fist saying, I hate God. But by rejecting Christ, I hated God. Because I rejected His Son. So, the reality is, there are distinctions. 
in creation. But there are also distinctions in the spiritual realm too. And in this passage we see a clear distinction. If you look at the very first verse, Paul says, and you were dead. That's a distinction. Because what's the opposite of dead? Being alive. It's not dead and then dead, dead. <laughs> You're just dead. So the big idea this morning, as we look at this distinction, is that before we were called to be saints, we were dead in our sins. So you look at two distinctions that either you are a saint of God, you're in God, or you're what? You're dead in your sins. Before we were called to be saints, we were dead in our sins. We were lost. We were undone. We were depraved. We were children of wrath. And we were unable to come to God. That's a distinction that matters the most. So before we get to our principles, I want to set this up. This may be a two-part message, by the way, just these first few verses. I want to uh, define some terms as we look at our text uh, this morning before we get to our principles uh, to give us some understanding of what we're looking at this morning. First of all, as I said, the you refers to in this context, he's talking about to the believers, but he's talking to the saints, Christians, believers, true followers of the Lord Jesus Christ. And when he says you were dead, that is, uh, in, in English, we call that a present active participle, which means being dead. So when he says you were dead, it means that you are being dead. You are dead. Okay. You have the verbs of being, am, is, are, was, were, be, being, and been. That means you are in a state of being dead. So before Christ, you were in a state of being dead. You were a dead man walking. You were like the walking dead. It's ironic that the show is named that. But as believers, before Christ, you were the walking dead. Those who are still not in Christ, guess what? They are the walking dead. So it means being dead. And this refers to, of course, spiritual death. And there are three stages of death that the Bible speaks of. One is spiritual death, where death comes into the world. Death came into the world through Adam, and we're declared spiritually dead. Then, of course, you have physical death, where people physically die. All of us do. Statistics show that 10 out of 10 people die. And then you have the third death, which is eternal death. And eternal death is called, uh, in Revelation, is called the second death. That means those who die outside of the Lord, they don't die once, they die twice. So those are the three stages of death. And then it says you were dead in your trespasses. Trespasses means, the, the Greek word means falling on one side. You know, you see no trespassing signs a lot, right? You know, it's one of the silliest signs that I see. Uh, people put a no trespassing sign on their property and say no trespassing private property. Everybody's yard is private property. 
So you'd have to put a sign. <laughs> your yard is your property, right? You stay on it, so you don't have to put a no trespassing private property sign because your yard is already private property. But anyway, trespassing means to fall on one side. And uh, all the Greek words for sin is referred to trespasses. And the word sin comes from the Greek word homosia, which means to miss the mark. To miss the mark. That's what the word uh, sin means. And then he said, uh, in which you once walked. Walked, we see walk, the word walked, especially in the New Testament. Walk is talking about your, your manner of life, the way in which you live your life, your lifestyle. So we see the word walk is talking about how you walk, your lifestyle. And then in this passage, we deal with the three enemies that Christians have, that all the mankind has. We have three enemies. One, the world, he says this in verse two, following the course of what? This world. So you have the world, and then you have the devil, the prince of the power of the air. And then in verse three, you have the flesh, among whom we all once lived in the passions of the desires or the lust of our flesh. So we have three enemies. What are the three enemies? The world, the devil, and the flesh. It doesn't matter which order you put it in. Most people say the world, the flesh, and the devil. We'll explain what the world is. The world is the, the cosmos, the, the ideologies of the world. He's not talking about the physical world. He's talking about the ideology, the ways of the world, the deeds of the world. So those are the three enemies that we face. The world, our flesh, our sinful flesh, our inclination to sin against God, and the devil, our spiritual enemy. So I want to define those right quick so that as we, we, we go through this passage, we see those words, we'll know what we're dealing with. So let's look at our three principles. They're very simple. The first principle is we were dead. All of us have been to funerals before, right? We've seen dead bodies in the casket. Those dead bodies are what? They're dead. You hear stories about, you know, bodies moving and stuff like that. They don't always, that's like uh, rare, that's an anomaly. Call their bathrooms. That person is pushing up daisies, as my grandma used to say. They're dead. They're not moving. So Paul says here that we are, we were dead. Death means separation. That's what we must understand about death. Death means separation. We're being separated from life. We're being separated from the land of the living. Death is a separation. As soon as you die, you're separated from life. Okay? In this case, we're talking about spiritual death. Spiritual death is very serious because spiritual death is the total, absolute, and complete, full separation from God. There's no such thing as a person who's partly with God. Either a person is in God or they are not. Either a person is fully 
and completely and totally a worshiper of God or they are not. There's no such thing as a partial or a part-time worshiper of God. Spiritual death means a total, absolute, complete separation from God. The reality of this death that Paul speaks of is that we were absolutely powerless, we were helpless, we were absolutely unable, incapable to think, to feel, or to will anything within us with God or of God because we were dead in our trespass and sin. This is what spiritual death looks like. We can try all we want to. To love God. We can try all we want to. To do godly things. Guess what? It's not going to happen. We may. As my friend Carlton Weather once said. Brother Carlton at Grace Fellowship. He said even a blind squirrel can find a nut. You may by common grace. Do some. Godly things, the things that look godly, but you're still dead. You're still in your sins. You're stepping over the mark or the boundary. You are a rebel. And this, this is where the one thing I want to drill on today, especially is this is part of the gospel. A person has to see that they're dead. They can't do anything to come to God themselves. People must know you're not a good person. You're dead. If you die right now at this moment, if you drop dead, your heart starts beating. Where are you going to spend eternity? And how do you know? Because your mama or your grandmama prayed for you. Because you went to church or you went to Sunday school. Or because you showed up every now and then, or because I talk to God every day. But are you listening to God? And He calls you to repent and turn from your sins, turn from your wicked ways, turn from serving yourself, turn from serving the desires of your flesh. Turn from living in wickedness and turn to me and be saved. Are you listening to God? Not are you talking to God every day? And people sound so self-righteous when they say that. I know God. I talk to him every day. But are you known by God? Is he going to say to you, I never knew you. Depart from me. When you're dead, you can talk to God all you want to. But that's not going to get you an entry. So when we're dead, we are dead. We're rebels. All who are without Christ, before God saved us, we were rebels. What made us dead? How did this death come, preacher? Turn with me to Romans 5 right quick. This is talking about the total depravity of man. Why are we dead? Why are we spiritually dead? What, what, what happened? What happened? Paul lays it out in here. It began with our first parents. And we want to flesh this out. Adam's disobedience leads to death. 
So Romans 5, beginning at verse 12. Paul gives a great exposition. If you don't have a Bible, at least hear, hear this, tune in, and listen. Therefore, just as through one man, sin entered the world, and death through sin. Remember, Paul said earlier in Romans, the wages of sin is what? Death. All sin deserves death. All sin brings a death sentence to us. The sins of our first parents. What happened out when these sin? Death came to the world. People began to die. When God made and created the heavens and earth, we were supposed to live forever. God created us to live for eternity. But when man sinned, it came crashing down. Even Methuselah died, although he was 936 years old, he still died. That's old, but he still what? Died. He's still not living today, I don't think. The Bible says he died. So, so anyway, and does death spread to how many men? All men, because all sinned. For until the law, sin was in the world, but sin is not imputed where there is no law. Nevertheless, death reigned from Adam to Moses, even over those who had not sinned according to the likeness of the transgression of Adam, who is a type of him, Adam is a type of Christ, to come. But the free gift is not like the offense, for by one man's offense many died, much more the grace of God and the gift of the grace of the one man, Jesus Christ, abounded to many. And the gift is not like that which came through the one who sinned. For the judgment which came from one offense resulted in condemnation, but the free gift which came from many offenses resulted in justification. For by one man's offense, death reigned through the one, much more those who received abundance of grace and of the gift of righteousness will reign in life through the one Jesus Christ. So Paul is saying here, death came through Adam. Because of Adam, all die. Because of Adam, all have sinned. But who came to make things right? Jesus Christ did. Jesus Christ did. But why is death on us? Because of Adam. Because of the sin of Adam. So back to our passage here. We were dead. Why were we dead? Because sin is in us. Sin is in our nature. We are conceived in sin. Paul wants to clarify that being truly dead, we were unable to come to God unless he provided everything, including faith. God even gives us the faith to believe. We can't believe on our own. It is God who grants us saving faith. It is him who does that. This is live. This is real life. It's not edited. <laughs> hey, hey, we live. We're not, we're not edit. We don't edit our church services. Mm -hmm. Hey, thank you very much. That's what it was. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Sorry about that. Yeah. Yeah. That's all right. A few seconds. Turn it back on. We're good to go. 
right, here we go. So, anyway, as I was saying, we cannot come to God even by faith because it is God who gives us the faith to believe. We can't do it by our own faith. So when he's telling these believers that they were dead, he was saying this because he didn't want them to get too arrogant in the fact that they're saints and that they somehow had something uh, to do with it. Now, many believers don't like this teaching because they want to believe that they had something to do with their salvation or some type of merit on their own. Many people don't like the fact that we had nothing to do with our salvation. Because the pride in us says we had something to do with it. Certainly there was something that God saw in us. Certainly there's something that I did to earn my salvation. As R.C. Sproul said, and I quote this a million times, if you were responsible for your salvation, how can you boast in the cross of Christ? If you can claim that you're the reason why you're saved, because that's what you're saying, then how can you sing about the cross? How can you sing, in Christ alone, my hope is found, when you are the one who led yourself to salvation? When you're spiritually dead, you can't do anything. If man is not totally and absolutely dead, then we can be responsible for our salvation. But Paul is telling us here, we were dead. We were powerless. We can do nothing. We are helpless and hopeless before God. But it does not mean that we're without hope. It just means that we are helpless and hopeless before God in regards to our sinful state. Every sinner is helpless and hopeless before God. But you know what sinful man does instead of coming to God? They rebel against God in their helplessness and their hopelessness. They go to all other things except God. They violate the first commandment that we read earlier in the catechism. They create idols. They worship false gods. They worship the false gods of TikTok and Instagram and Twitter and Facebook or whatever other kind of apps out there. I'm sure there's over a million of them in the Apple App Store. Whatever the newest trends are, they, they go chase after them. And it's like running a fool's errand because it never satisfies. Now, the thing about being dead is that God has to do the saving of us. And we're going to see that later on. But first, we must realize that we are dead. And not only are we dead, but number two, we were enslaved. Look at verse two here. In the trespass in which we once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience. Paul is saying we live according to the age of this world, this present 
age. The Greek word again for world, as I talked about, when it speaks of the world, it's speaking of the, the cosmos, not this physical world. But the Greek word for world means the principalities that govern this world system. It's speaking of the society, the philosophies, the ideologies, the lifestyles of the world. That's what scripture speaks of when it speaks of the world. What are some of the philosophies of the world that people follow? Of, of society? What are some of the most popular things now? You know, I was, I was, uh, watching, uh, in Minnesota, the state senate had voted, uh, for giving women the right to cure their children. And it was a video of people celebrating and crying. Because this legislation passed. They're not crying and lament. They're celebrating because in that state and many others, women can now cure their babies. That is celebrated. That's the world. That's, that's a worldly philosophy. That it is culture. That it is okay to kill your child and Make no mistake about it, people. That baby in the womb is a child. That baby in the womb is the image bearer of God from the moment of conception. From the moment of conception, when that egg is fertilized and attaches to that uterine wall, that is a person. That is an image bearer of God. That baby has a DNA. That baby has cells. That baby either has gametes or ovaries, either it's a male or a female. It's a person. You don't hear a person when they say pregnant and say, we're having a fetus. <laughs> no, they say we're having a what? Baby. Because they know deep down inside that is a person. But the philosophies of the world say, uh, if you don't make enough money or if the father... Leaves. If you're poor, growing up in a bad environment, and oh, I don't want my child growing up in this type of environment. I don't want my child growing up in this time, in this age in which we live. Let me go down to the nearest abortion clinic. Let me take this pill, this Plan B pill, and kill this life that is inside of me. That's a worldly philosophy. We're not to walk according as believers. We don't. But that's the way the world thinks. That's the way those who are dead in their trespasses and sins think. That's why he says, according to following the course of this world. When we were, when I was an unbeliever at one time, I thought abortion was okay. Why? Because my mind, I was I was walking in darkness. I was I was dead. I was spiritually dead. I thought it was okay. I remember who saw the movie uh, Fast Times at Ridgemont High. Okay? There's a scene in there where, uh, what's the girl's name? Um, anyway, one of the boys that was a jerk and he was chasing this girl and finally, you know, 
they had the business or whatever, and uh, he was talking to another girl at the football stadium like a few days later, and, and then the girl came and talked to him and told her that uh, she was pregnant. And he was like, oh, it ain't mine. And she was like, oh, yes, it is, you know, you know, blah, blah, blah. And he said, uh, well, we're going to have to get an abortion. And she was like, I already got that taken care of. So they were talking about that in movies even back then. That you got a baby by someone that's undesirable. After one night stand or whatever, that it's okay to kill your baby. That is a worldly philosophy. And that is how people who are spiritually dead think. That's how they think. That a baby is just disposable. It's, it's just medical waste. It's just a big inconvenience to have. So I might as well kill it, right? Get it sucked out of this member and everything else that they do to these babies and use for medical waste. That is walking according to the course of this world that is following the course of this world. Lifestyle, same thing, the way that the world lives, the way that the world dresses. We follow all those things when we're in darkness, when we are spiritually dead. Our thinking is clouded. Our thinking, our orientation, the, the, the mind, the way that we think and process things is not godly. We're not saying we're not thinking godly because we're not godly. We don't have the spirit of God in us. This doesn't mean that every person who's spiritually dead is out here uh, like a raging lunatic, but just even in your mind, you're sinning. You're, you're a rebel against God whether you act like one or not. You're still spiritually dead because the reason why this is important is because we can look at people that we know, probably family members. Oh, they're such nice people. Or as we say in the country, those are good people. Those are good folks. But guess what? They're still spiritually dead if they're not in Christ. Because it's not your good works, it's not your nice attitude, it's not your good character that gets you in the pearly gates. If you're not one of God's children by grace, through faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, you are spiritually dead. And you're going to have to give an account for the fact that you thought that your niceness was going to get you in heaven. <laughs> you're going to give account for that. You thought that your good works, your, your charity, you're doing your best. You thought that, that was going to get you in. Not realizing your spiritual poverty that you were dead. When you walk according to the course of the world, that's what you think. You think that you don't need a Savior. I'm a good person. I don't need religion. Because that's what atheists think. That's what the secularists think. The secularists think that you can be good without God. Now, through common grace, you can do good things. But that don't mean that you're a good person. Because you have to define what is good. How do you determine what's good? In the world, it's a subjective human standard. Subjective meaning is, is nothing concrete. It's based on what each person thinks is good. Adolf Hitler thought that he was doing good by getting rid of all the Jews in Europe. He did. He thought he was doing good to the jury. Uh, to the Germans and to the Aryan people, the, the pure whites as he called it. So he decided to exterminate Jews and gypsies 
and, and, and uh, religious people, the deformed, the disabled, were among those two who were exterminated. He thought that he was doing good. So you say, oh, so they're a good person according to who? Whose standard are you using by what standard? When Romans 3 tells me, there's none who does good. No, not one. Turn to Romans 3 right quick. We're again talking about the second point being enslaved. Romans 3, Paul says this. He lays this out. Verse 9. He's talking about Jews and Gentiles. Because the Jews thought that they were more righteous than the Gentiles because they're Jews. Okay? Paul says here, what then? Are we Jews any better off? That's a rhetorical question. No. Not at all. But we have already charged that all, both Jews and Gentiles, are under what? Sin. All. Excuse me. As it is written, none is righteous. This is the state of those who are spiritually dead. None is righteous, no, not one. No one understands. No one seeks after God. There's no such thing as a person who's seeking after God. God's not playing how to go seek. Okay. Unbelievers are not seeking after God. They're seeking after the low, the small G God who is themselves. What does he continue to say? All have what? Turned aside. Together they have become worthless. No one does good, not even one. Their throat is an open grave, and they use their tongues to deceive. The venom of asps is under their lips. Their mouth is full of curses and bitterness. Their feet are shift to sweat blood, shed blood, and their paths are ruin and what? Misery. They're living in misery. In the way of peace they have not known. There's no fear of God before their eyes. You know why? Because if they fear God, they will be worshiping God. If they fear God, they will bow to the Lordship of Jesus Christ in their life. Let's say, Lord, here I am. Save me. Lord, have mercy on me. Lord, I'm tired of running from you. Lord, save me. Have mercy on my soul. But instead, they have no fear of God. Those who are spiritual, they have no fear of God in their eyes. They hate God. They don't want God. They say it, but it's not here. God said in Isaiah. They honor me with their lips. They worship me with their mouths, but their hearts are far away from me. They may say religious words. They may say all this Christianese. They learn by listening to the preacher. It's not there. Why? Because they're dead. They're enslaved to the things of this world. They believe that they can live a life without God. And think that when they get to their deathbed, they'll make a deathbed confession. Let me tell you something. You continue to reject God, your heart is going to harden. The longer you reject God, the harder your heart is going to get. 
And there is a point of no return when God turns that person over because they continue to reject God. Why? Because they were enslaved to this world that tells them you don't need God. They were enslaved to the philosophies and the ideologies that say you can build a world without God. You can build a life without God. You can build a family without God. You can build anything in your life without God. You don't need God. All you need is your material things. Someone so rich, all they have is money. But Lord, they are in misery. They are miserable. People who are enslaved are miserable. Before I came to Christ, I was so miserable. I thought I was living in life. I did. I thought I had it made. I'm just talking about me personally. I was miserable. Didn't even know it. I was so miserable. Saints. My cousin uh, witnessed to me and I just, I was bawling on that phone all night long because she was, she was mentioning the gospel to me and I just, I was miserable. God gave me saving faith. But I was enslaved. I was in slavery to the philosophies of this world. I believe the lies of this world. I'll tell you this. The lies of this world are going to be nothing but misery. Yes, people can go on social media, post all these nice filtered pictures about their life. That is all good. It's a facade, people. It's a facade. Don't believe the lie. Oh, their life is so wonderful. They got the big house. They got the boat on the lake down there at Riverside. They eat at the nicest restaurants. Oh, their children are so perfect. Taking nice cotton field pictures. Perfect family. They're enslaved. They want you to think that they're living their best life. But when you're enslaved to your sins, as Paul says, when you're walking according to the course of this world, when you're following the prince of the power of the air. You are in misery. And that is how the spiritually dead look. That is how slavery looks. And the thing about us is we live in such an advanced technological age that we choose, we can choose our masters. Most of our masters are this right here. This is our slave master. That screen time. This is our master in our technological age. Amen? amen. As Bodie Balfour would say, if you can't say amen, say ouch. <laughs> this is our master. And it has ruled over us. And we as believers have to slay that every single day. I remember when I was uh I remember when uh when I was teaching back in I think 07 08 and I was startled when my students told me 
that they go to sleep with their phones in their bed. I mean, they're feeling like, where they do that at? Like, how? That was, what, 15 years ago? <laughs> I guess now they fall asleep. I, I don't know. It's just like they fall asleep with the phone under the pillow or, you know, phones are on all night with the boyfriend or girlfriend or whatever. Uh, it's just crazy. Why? Because we're enslaved. Question. What's the last thing we look at before we go to sleep? If we even go to sleep. <laughs> What's the last thing we look at? You know how to ask, ask, ask the question. Just it's something to think about. What are we enslaved to? What, what is the first thing we do before uh, when we wake up in the morning? And what's the last thing we do before we retire for the night or the early morning? What are you enslaved to? That's just something to think about. Those who are the spiritual daughters, they're enslaved to everything. And you know what? They're so enslaved that in the middle of the night, those wheels are turning. Their conscience is convicting them. God is, look, God never stops calling people to salvation. He never stops calling people. Paul said in Romans 1 that the evidence of God is everywhere. God is a calling God. God is always calling people to repentance. Either through the gospel message, through evidences in creation, He's calling people. He's calling these people in the middle of the night who are enslaved to the world. Come to me and be saved. But they're not listening. They medicate. They do drugs. They get into sexual morality. They go post something on social media or they go look at social media. They're doing all these things to assuage. Assuage means to get rid of or to calm their guilty conscience. And Paul says here, we were following these things. The prince of the power of the air. You know, if you think about it, a hundred years ago, some things were not as emphasized as they are today, like uh, sexual morality wasn't as emphasized in the 1920s as in the 2020s. Materialism is more of a problem today than it was in the 50s. Divorce and cohabitation were not as much of a problem 60 years ago as it is now. Why? Because we have become more enslaved to the very principles that govern this world. We've become more enslaved to them. Let me tell y'all something about sin. Sin does progress. But sin progresses downward. It doesn't progress the other way. Sin never gets better it gets worse. It gets worse. Sin never gets better. Sin never relents. It never lets up. It only gets worse. You love your sin, guess what? 
I got news for you. You're going to sin even more because you love it so much. So he said, walk according to the world. Then uh, in the same principle, we walk according to the principles of Satan. The prince of the power of the air. We were enslaved to Satan. Now this doesn't mean that a person was demon possessed or uh, anything like that. But it means that we operated under some of the same principles that govern Satan's activities. Lying, unbelief, deceit, wickedness, pornography, fornication, self-love, all these things are governed by Satan. They're satanic activity because at the root of all of them is a rejection of God's uh, sovereign rule over our lives. Yes, self-love is satanically influenced because self-love leads you to turn to idolatry where you begin to worship self. And I've noticed this. I'm just an observer of things. I know I have uh, people personally that I know, primarily women, they get divorced from their husbands and all of a sudden they go on this self-love journey. Friend, I know some people like that. They get a divorce and all of a sudden they're all about loving themselves and, uh, you know, I need to love myself more. I need to take care of myself more. I guess in their marriage they felt like you know, this is what it shows. You can't be married and exercise self-love. Marriage requires you to love someone else and not love yourself. You can't love yourself and then try to love somebody else in a marital covenant. Because all you're going to think about is your needs, your desires, your dreams, your goals, yourself. And your husband must acquiesce to all of those, whether they are righteous and holy or not. Because you're God. You're your own God. And the old truism, well not truism, I'm sorry, the old saying, you can't love others until you love yourself first. Man, that's a lie. And just don't believe it. But that's, that's what people say. Self-love is satanic. It's it's a, it's a satanically governed activity. So is lying. So is unbelief. So is deceit. So is, is pride. So is wickedness. So is pornography. So is fornication. So is adultery. All these things. The prince of the power of the air. Before we were in Christ, we were walking. We were empowered and energized by satanic activity. He says... The spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience. So who is at work in the sons of disobedience? Satan. Remember the word work means it uh, comes from the Greek word energy or energize. Satan energizes those who are in darkness. Why are the wicked wicked? Because they're being energized by Satan. They're agents of the devil. They're doing his bidding. Look, Satan has children. We're talking about the binary in the beginning, right? They're children of God and children of Satan. 
who are the children of God? John said in John 1, those who believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. Not every person who was born. No. Children of God, those who believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, salvation, who receive Christ. To them, as John said, he gave them the right to be called children of God. And he had the children of Satan. Who are the children of Satan? Those who are not children of God. Before I was saved, I was a child of Satan. I was doing Satan's bidding. Before you were saved, Christian, guess what? You were doing Satan's bidding too. Unbelief is part of that. You were not a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ, so guess what? You were doing Satan's bidding because guess what? Guess what? Satan doesn't want you to believe in God. He don't want you to believe in the Lord Jesus Christ by faith. He doesn't want that. He wants you to reject that salvation. And the reason why this is important, knowing who's energizing people, because we must understand, and I'm going to lay in this plane right here for this week, and we'll continue this message next week. But I want to end by saying this. We are in a spiritual war, not a political war. We're in a spiritual war. We're in a spiritual war. Conservative religious philosophy says that politics is downstream of culture and culture is downstream of religion. And I'll explain what that means. If you work it backwards, religion influences culture and culture influences politics. People vote based on their religious beliefs. Religion influences culture. Why do we have a secular culture? Because religion has lost <coughs> its influence in our culture. In our nation especially, Christian, we, we've enjoyed Christian privilege for a long time since our founding, but not anymore. We don't have that anymore in our culture. It's not cool to be a Christian now. We call bigots, homophobes, transphobes, whatever else. That's what we're called now. All for believing that men can't get pregnant, men can't be women, and women can't be men, and babies should be murdered in the womb. Those are the two primary issues. And that uh, two men and two women aren't married. But religion influences culture. We have a secularized society. And because of that, our culture is secularized. And guess what? People are going to vote that way. They think just because there's an R behind a person's name, you got Republicans and Congress who believe that abortion is okay in certain cases. They believe it's okay for uh, drag queens, men, uh, cosplaying as women to perform in front of children. That it's okay for children to have their bodies mutilated because they think they're in the wrong body. 
just because they got an R behind their name, or just because they're MAGA, if they're not biblical, it doesn't matter. All of them are the same. All, all these politicians are liars to get your vote. They say the right words to tug at your heartstrings. And you go in there, pull that lever or mark that ballot, thinking that they are going to change this country. It's not going to happen. Until the true church, the true church, I'm not talking about the apostate churches, the apostate denominations, the true church, those made up of regenerate believers, stand for and stand on God's truth and dig your heels in. Until that happens, culture's not going to change. And if culture's not going to change, politics is not going to change. So when we think about who's at work in this world, Satan is at work. Satan is at work because the church has advocated her responsibility to be a clarion call, to issue the call to the culture, to turn to Christ and be saved. That is the call of the church, to be the buttress of truth, as Paul said. The church is the declarer of truth. Not some person, some wingnut saying, I'm out here declaring my truth. No, your truth is not truth, honey. <laughs> God's truth is truth. This is truth. Amen. Jesus prayed in John 17, Lord, sanctify them in your truth. Your word is truth. This is the truth that we need to declare to the culture. That Jesus is Lord. That there's only one God, and that is the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. And if you don't bow down to him, it's going to be chaos as we see now. It's either Christ or chaos. That is the call of the church. That is the call of every believer. The spiritually dead need to hear that. Our friends, our family members, the hardest people to evangelize, but we still do it. I got one who's watching right now. You need to listen to the gospel. That's what I told her. My mother, who is Jehovah's Witness, she needs Jesus. And I'm not afraid to tell her. I tell her in love. She knows that. I want her to die in Christ, not in a false religion. And she's my mother. But I love her soul enough to tell her that she needs to worship the true Jesus. We should not be afraid to tell our loved ones the same thing. You need to bow the knee to the only true God. That's what you need to tell them. Because you love them. 
And you want them to be in heaven with you. You don't want them to die in, your, in their sins and then you get to the funeral and try to say good things about them in hopes. <laughs> okay? You try to eulogize them into heaven. They're not only going to be spiritually there, they're going to be physically there. They can't hear you. They're dead. So what do we do? It's a spiritual one. We pray for them, but we have to declare God's truth to them. You don't want to comfort people by lies or comfort them with lies. You lovingly confront them with the truth rather than comfort them with lies. Amen? Amen. We'll continue this next week, uh, the end of this verse, and then go to the next verse. Let us pray as we go before the Lord. Well, we, first of all, thank you for your word. We thank you for showing us, as I, as I said earlier, we would hear some hard sayings this morning, but they are still worth being heard about being spiritually dead. Those of us who are believers, Lord, we, we were spiritually dead. And Father, you have some who are hearing this and perhaps watching who are themselves spiritually dead. Lord, I pray that they turn from their sins and turn to you, Lord. You are the one who gives them saving faith to believe. I pray that you do that, Lord, in your mercy. Lord, I also pray that you help us as believers to be humble, to see where we came from, where you brought us from, that you brought us, you made us alive who were spiritually dead. It was you who saved us, Lord, and it is you who can save them. Lord, give us the boldness as believers to declare this truth to others, to our family members, our loved ones, our friends, our co-workers, that they may come to Christ and be saved from their sins and saved from your wrath. Lord, bless your word and bless all who hear it this morning. In Christ's name, amen. Amen. Before we dismiss... Uh, Listen, the boys got something in. Got something else uh, for us here. Okay.